Hey everybody, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. I'm excited about my show tonight because my dear sister Lativa is here. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to her because there she is. Look at her. Look at all good. Uh, I haven't had a chance to talk directly to her yet, but I know her journey. I know her story because it's hard to do everything. It's hard to be everything to everybody, right? Have you ever been in a situation or a stage of your life where you were trying just to be everything for everybody and you ended up not being much of anything at all? Because you can't always do it all. You gotta, you know, you gotta make decisions. You know, being a, and this is her story. She's a mom, she's a fiance, she's a businesswoman, right? And then, she, and then she's gotta find time for her just to be Lativa. How do you do all that without losing your mind or putting somebody out the house? <laughs> I wanna see if I can help her figure it out. Um, because her journey with drawing boundaries and juggling and balancing time is all of our stories tonight. So settle in, people. We're going to have a great conversation. We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. Let's start with some headlines. Play the bumper, Hiley. <laughs> so listen to this. Let's start with Pope Francis, all right? Pope Francis. I'm not Catholic, okay? But I like Pope Francis. We, we disagree on a lot of things, but I like Pope Francis. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this time I like him. So recently, Pope Francis was joking with a group of seminarians about needing tequila <laughs> to deal with his knee pain. So apparently the Pope has been dealing with a serious knee ailment uh, for uh, a few months caused by some strained ligaments in his knee. And he was joking around with some seminarians that he thought the only thing that would make him feel better was some tequila. <laughs> Shout out to Pope Francis, because I like tequila too. <laughs> I think tequila is a wonderful thing. And apparently Pope Francis knows something about tequila, because you can't joke about it if you didn't know nothing about it, okay? I'm just saying. And let me tell you why I love this story, okay? Lativa, listen to this. This is why I love this story. Because I love it when people who are spiritual and have substance, right, and are serious, can also have a good time. You know what I'm saying? Don't be so deep and holy and sanctified and loving the Lord and speaking in tongues and praying five times a day and doing your Ramadan and you can't make a joke. All right. Stop being so godly that you forget how to be humorous. And I like the fact that Pope Francis can be humorous. Now, I'm assuming he's being humorous. I don't know. He might be being serious. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. The point is. It's just good to see serious people not take themselves so seriously that they don't know how to have a good time. And for all of you right now who's got a problem with the Pope wanting to drink some tequila or at least joking about it, let me remind you old stuck-up Christians <laughs> that Jesus turned water into wine, people, okay? That was the first miracle. And I bet it was good stuff, not that ripple, not that stuff Fred Sampson used to drink. I'm just saying, when Jesus you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, Jesus, and don't miss the fact that Jesus was at a wedding, having a good time at a party. You know, Christians, we love to follow Jesus by the Sea of Galilee, and we love to follow Jesus on the cross, but follow him to the wedding and watch him have a good time. Because how can, how can those of us who are spiritual or substantive or serious try to get people who are shallow and superficial and silly to want to be more like us? If, if, if it never looks like it's a good time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Spirituality and seriousness can't be dour and, and sour and negative and serious all the time. 
It's good to laugh and dance and snap your fingers and shake your behind. It's, it's a good thing. It, it's just good to let your hair down and smile. You know what I'm saying? Tell a few jokes. And yes, drink a little tequila or wine or Kool-Aid, whatever you like. But having a good time should be as much a part of the moral life or a serious life as anything else. We, we, cannot, we cannot convince people to be more substantive if we don't tell them how substance can lead to fun. And so, for all of you watching the show right now, get yourself a glass of whatever you like. I don't care what it is. It ain't none of my business. I don't judge what's in your glass. But get yourself a glass of whatever you like and you settle in because I got a great show for you, okay? And apparently, if the Pope was here, I'd have him some tequila. All right, let's do another one. So the Buffalo shooting, we've all heard about the Buffalo shooting where the uh, white guy killed uh, 10 African-American shoppers. That's him right there, Peyton Peyton Gendron. Um, And so we've all heard about how uh, he uh, killed, slaughtered these 10 people uh, in a store in Buffalo. But apparently, a few months before the gunman purchased his rifle, uh, cops ordered that he have a psychological evaluation. So a month before he went to buy his gun, the cops said he needed to have a psychological, in a separate incident, they recommended he have a psychological evaluation. Now, the owner of the place where he went to buy his gun, a store called Vintage Firearms, ran a background check before Peyton bought his gun in his store. And none of this came up. So when the owner of the store ran Peyton's background check, it was never it was it never came up that the police wanted him to have a psychological evaluation. You follow me so far? Stay with me. It's about to get good. Okay. here's the irony. If you go to a gun store to buy a gun and you and your credit card isn't up to date or your credit card is expired. The person at the at the cash register will get a report from the credit card company telling the cash register person not to sell it to you because your credit is not in good standing. And in the old days, they used to cut your credit card off. I don't know if they still do that, right? In the old days, you go to the credit card, go to the store and you got bad credit, credit is overrun, they cut your credit card up. So here's the thing. If you go to a gun store with bad credit, the company will let the cash register know and they won't sell you the gun because your credit card is not, is not up to date. So you can't get a gun if you got bad credit. But you can get a gun in America if the police has ordered you to have a psychological evaluation because that report never gets reported to the gun store. (laughs) You see the irony of that? Do you see the irony? This young man was ordered by the police to have a psychological evaluation and the report never got to the gun store. But if you had bad credit before you got out the store, they would know that you had bad credit and you couldn't get this gun because your credit card wasn't any good. How is it in America that your credit means more when buying a gun than a psychological evaluation? Does that make sense to anybody? I'm just asking questions because that's what I do for a living. No, that don't make sense. It can't possibly make sense, people. It can't possibly be the case that your credit means more than your mind <laughs> when we're handing out guns. Listen, this, this, this is, you can't make this up. You really can't make this up. But this is the American preoccupation and fascination with guns. And do you know and do you know why they don't have mass shootings in Europe? There are are not mass shootings in Europe writ large. Do you know why? Because they don't sell guns. 
they don't sell guns. And when you don't have gun proliferating your society, you can't have mass shootings because people don't have access to the weapons. How about, how, about, how about we just say this? You ready for this? How about we just admit that the founding fathers of this country got the Second Amendment wrong? How about, and they got a lot wrong, by the way. So it wouldn't be the first thing that they got wrong. How about we just admit that the Second Amendment is not what it should be? People should not have writ large the opportunity just to bear arms and have guns. If you're not in the military, if you don't have some protective service associated with you, you just should, you don't need a gun, okay? And I know there are a lot of gun advocates who disagree, but I got 10 people dead in Buffalo because somebody with a psychological problem should not have had a gun. What do you have? All right. <laughs> Let's move on. Latifah, I'm coming to you, girl. You stay right there. I'm coming to you. I got a couple more of these to do, but I'm coming. Let's talk about Netflix, okay? Did you hear about this? Netflix recently laid off 150,000 employees due to a dramatic decline in subscribers. And the layoffs represent 2% of the streaming network's total workforce uh, and claims are being made, allegedly, that the layoffs were mostly in the diversity departments, including Strong Black Lead, Asian, Amer Asian American and Latino X focused departments. And while it's surprising to hear that Netflix is losing market share, it's not surprising to hear that a lot of these layoffs are coming in the people of color parts of the company. Because you know black folks are the last hired and the first fired, right? That's always been the case in America and apparently it doesn't matter the industry because including in streaming and digital services, we are the last hired and the first fired. But I did find it rather interesting that Netflix is losing market share. And I think it's an example of what happens when you change the game. Here's the part where you really need to listen. Are you listening right now? A lot of people think that, things only, that you only have problems when things go wrong. But what people don't realize is that you can have problems when things go really well. Problems will show up on both sides of the equation. You see, if things aren't going well, you get canceled <laughs> and people get rid of you. But when you change the game, Everybody mimics what you do. Everybody signs on to what you do and everybody jumps into the pool that you're swimming in. And before you know it, you have so many people in the streaming space that now Netflix has to compete with people they never had to compete with before. When, network, when Netflix first started, who was Netflix competing with? Hardly anybody. And so everybody had Netflix, right? Now you got so many streaming services, you can't even remember half of the, I, listen, I did some promos before. I, I, had, I had never heard of half of these streaming services. That's how many of them there are now. But that's what happens when you change the game. When you change the game, the game is changed. And sometimes you suffer because you change the game. And that's what's going on with Netflix. You see, I don't know how Netflix is gonna get back, get back its market share. I don't know if it ever will. That's not my job to figure out. That's none of my business. But here's the thing I, I want Netflix to know. Ladiva, you tell me you agree with this. I spend more time on Netflix trying to find something to watch than I actually watch things on Netflix. All right. <laughs> Let's do one more. <laughs> Let's do one more, people. I love this show so much. This one is the closest version of Dr. Sean being petty that we're ever going to get. Okay, because you guys know I'm not petty. I don't do gossip. I don't do pettiness. I don't do conflict foolishness, okay? I just don't do it, doesn't interest me, it's not my legacy, it's not what I wanna leave in the earth when I die. But this is the closest I'm gonna get to being petty, okay? The closest I'm gonna get. 
I'm going to make a larger moral point, but it's going to be a little petty along the way. Just a little bit. Let's talk about Madison Cawthorn. <laughs> Madison Cawthorn. I see you laughing, Tifa. Madison Cawthorn, Representative Madison Cawthorn, lost his Republican primary in North Carolina to his opponent, Chuck Edwards, in the 11th district there in the state of North Carolina. He lost his primary. And Cawthorn blamed his loss to the influence of woke media and what he called the liberal conspiracy against him. Yes. So he believed that he lost his primary because of woke media and liberals. <laughs> but I just happen to think that maybe Madison lost his primary because he claimed that he had been invited to an orgy full of Republicans. <laughs> and they were in there doing cocaine, allegedly. And they're doing cocaine. Of course, Republicans don't do orgies in cocaine. So that's probably why he, that's probably why he lost. It wasn't the woke media, Madison, okay? Here's what it was, okay? You probably lost your race because we got photos of you in a dress. <laughs> we, got, we got photos of you in women's lingerie, Madison, okay? I got no problem with men wearing lingerie if, that's, if it makes you feel special inside. I'm all for it. But remember, Madison, you were the one that told us you were standing up for masculinity and how masculinity was in trouble in America and then... We got, we got photos of you in lingerie. You didn't lose your race because of liberals. You lost your race because we got videos of you gesticulating and gyrating on another man in a bed. And again, I got no problems with men gesticulating and gyrating on each other. I ain't no problem with that at all. Except that, Madison, you told us that you were against that, remember? You know, you were conservative. You was a conservative. You believe in the Bible. <laughs> Romans chapter 1 <laughs> Leviticus 9 I could quote the scriptures for you yeah, yeah, remember that Madison and here you are gesticulating and gyrating thrusting <laughs> on a man in the bed that's not even allegedly we got a video of it I'm just saying bro it wasn't woke media you know why you lost your race Madison because you're a hypocrite you're a hypocrite if you knew you had these things in your past why would you get up in front of the public and proffer yourself like you were some morally superior person, the defender of masculinity in America because manhood is in trouble? Yeah, manhood has, is in trouble. And you know why it's in trouble? Because there are too many men who are hypocrites like you running around calling ourselves men. Let me end, because I'm enjoying this too much. <laughs> I, I, I don't often give praises to Republicans, but shout out to the Republican people in the 11th District of North Carolina. Shout out to them for not returning Madison Cawthorn to the United States Congress. Now, I'm not quite sure why they did it, though. I'm not sure if they thought Madison was a hypocrite and they didn't want to elect him or, or because they don't like men in dresses. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> so, you never know with the Republicans. Is it virtue or bigotry? I don't know. But in either case, Madison won't be back. And I think that's a good thing. Let me be done with all this headline. When I come back, my sister Lativa is here. We're going to have a great conversation about balance and work and love and passion and motherhood. And how do you make it all work, people? Because I know, I know you are juggling more than one responsibility. So sit on down with your tequila, huh? And your wine. Jesus did it. And enjoy the rest of the show. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Let's talk about balance. Let's talk, let's talk about balance in your life, your work, 
the people you love. Woo! Welcome to the show tonight, my dear sister Lativa. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing. I'm. I'm. Today's a good day. Okay. Today's a good day. Yes. <laughs> and it's even better seeing you. You have such a great spirit. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, and I, I, I can tell without even like ha- talking to you, just just from your from your face, your smile, everything. You have a great spirit. So thank you for coming on, and thank you for doing this for us. Yes, no problem. Thank you for having me. All right. So I know you're here to talk about this this delicate dance that you have to do between, just with balance, right? You're a mom, you're a yes. fiance, and you have a, a a burgeoning, very powerful career. But here's what I want to ask you. Okay, I w- we're going to get into all that. But I, I, want, I want to begin where the beginning began <laughs> and ask you this question. Was there, was there ever a time in your life that you could remember when you did have balance? Yes, way before I franchised my business and I wasn't, you know, having this 14 locations around the world and I was just a simple person um, with a simple career. That's when I had balance. But when I actually start gravitating in life, it's just... It got hectic. Mm. So was the only, and think about this, was the only difference between that time and this time the number of your responsibilities or was there any kind of spiritual, psychological, emotional difference as well? It was both. Okay, Um, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, it was both because it's like, the more, it's it's more responsibilities now because I own a franchise company. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's more responsibilities, more time. I kind of really underestimated um, getting into franchising. I'm thinking that I'll still have time for my family, my fiance, uh, Kelvin. I love him so much. Shout out to him because he actually the one who actually helped me uh, get my business started from the ground up. But, you know, just really trying to balance that and really like be a full time mother, a full time fiance and also be there for my franchisees. It's pretty hectic and it comes to the point where I have to, I feel like I have to choose like my career or my family. And I'm mm. trying to figure out, is it possible to have it all without choosing and being able to balance? Mm. And that's a great question. I think a lot of people watching tonight have the exact same question, which I'm going to answer eventually. Um, but, but before I answer your question, answer this question. When you say balance, what do you mean? What is balance to you? So balance is basically giving um, the equal time to, because you can be succeeding in your career, but you can be slacking as a fiance. You can be slacking as a mother, mm. right? So I'm slacking, I'm, I'm, I'm um, accelerating in my career, but I'm slacking in those areas that's very important to me, right? My fiance, my children, you know, those are the most important things. And, you know, business is just really just taking all of that time. And I want to focus majority of my time on my family and my loved ones and the people who love me, who's going to be around regardless, you know. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that without, you know, having to choose, having to, you know, decide, you know, whether I want to let my career go and just be a full time mother and, a, you know, and a full time um, fiance soon to be wife and be able to just live like that. Or do I want to continue to grow my business and plus be able to devote some of that time to my family? Yeah. Yeah. So was there a defining moment 
when you realize I don't have balance and this is a problem? Because there's, there's always a moment, right? What, what, yes. what, what was the moment for you? The moment was more of like my, my children saying, you know, mommy, I want you to spend more time with us. You know, we miss you. You also is working. And then also my fiance, right? Because we had some conflict in our uh, relationship. And it was like, you know, you spend more time on business than, you know, in our relationship. So that's when I knew like, okay, I really need to figure out how to balance this thing out so I can have my family my career, my love life, and still be successful at the same time. How did hearing that affect you emotionally? I like, I said, hold, hold on, um, hold on, hold on. Because I, I, I perceive you to be, at least in this conversation, you're very head oriented. Like you speak from your, from your head, from your, from you think, you're a thinker. But climb down in your heart and tell me, how did hearing that make you feel? Um, it, I felt like, you know, I was losing in a point in my life, like I said, as far as you know, motherhood, I felt like very sad because, you know, life is not always about money and materialistic things and things of that nature. It's about being there for the ones who support you and who love you. And it's about having a family because if you don't have a family, you really don't have anything, right? So I just kind of feel a piece of that, like, that I was missing. Um, I just felt bad. I felt terrible. I was like, mm. okay focusing so much on business where I lost sight on who I am, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can lose ourselves because we're focusing so much on the common goal of reaching success. And then we lose sight of the people that we should be really caring for. And I, and I really felt terrible. Mm. Mm. You know, I, I, I can totally relate to that. Because um, I've, I've recently had a friend go through exactly what you are going through. Um, and she was completely devastated by something her children said to her. Um, uh, and, and they said it, you know, just they weren't trying to destroy her. But they were just letting, letting her know, like, we miss you. We miss you. And, um, and it just totally just destroyed her. Um, I'm doing this so that everybody watching will understand better. Uh, your journey, and I think the journey of black women, all right? Let's, let, let's go over the roles you play, okay? Because you've mentioned them, but I'm sure that there are roles you play that you haven't even mentioned. So we know that you are a fiancé, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so just, just how, how long have you guys known each other generally? We've been together for 10 years. Oh, wonderful. Okay, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, you, so you're a fiancé, okay? And you're a mother, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, boys Three and um one is eight his name is Micea one is um nine um Jabari and then I have a two-year-old and his name is Calvin okay uh, I'm assuming you're also a daughter of somebody right don't tell me the parents yes. name right so yes. you're, and you're and your parents are alive right correct all right so you're a daughter do you have any siblings Yes. Okay, so, so we're adding to the roles, right? So we got we got fiance, we got mom, we have we and, and we got daughter, we got sibling. Okay. And I'm assuming you have some friends, right? Correct. That I barely see. Yes, but it's a role that you play, right? Yeah. <laughs> so 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 you're also a friend. Now yes. now let's get to the role that takes up most of your time. You're also an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. Um talk to Correct. me about that. Um, so I started my business about 13 years ago, 
And when I started, it was just a small um, single business. And then during the pandemic, I decided that that was a, a great opportunity to franchise my um, healthcare, my senior healthcare business. And then I actually um, sold 14 locations around the US. So I'm in multiple states. And now I'm just like super busy trying to manage my franchisees, teaching them how to become successful. And then also trying to balance my personal life too as well. You know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take a slight diversion here because I think this is important to ask you something about black women in business. And, and, and tell everybody what it's like for a black woman to be in business for herself in this country at this time. It's very important um, because we have so many access to resources um, far as like grants, loans, and different things of that nature. We need to utilize those things so we can actually uh, build generational wealth. And then also if there's a lot of uh, black women who are married to um, you know, a husband who needs help and you can uplift him and, and teach him and train him too as well and share those resources, then you become a powerful couple. So it's very important for us to be entrepreneurs in this day of age. You know, I, I, have, I have a strange question that I wanna ask you. Um, and give me this answer with no filter, okay? No filter. Okay. What is the biggest obstacle for black women in business? No filter. Um, the pressure, right? Because we don't wanna fail. We can't, it's hard for us to, you know, we feel like we can't make mistakes, right? because we don't want someone to say, oh, you know, I knew this was gonna happen because it's a black business. So that's why I think that also we work like 10 times harder than other um, races because we wanna make sure that everything is perfectly perfect, which nothing in life can be perfect. But you know, that's a challenge of itself because we have that pressure from society. We have that pressure from our friends. We have that pressure from the family that you know we have to make it work it's no what's bus ins and outs of it like this is it and we have to do whatever it takes to make sure that that works without uh failing mm -hmm. and you know, failing is the opportunity to get you to the next level but it's hard for us because as i said it before when you're a black entrepreneur um if you fail more of like you know you you lost right is not a motivation for you to see. You feel like you lost, you feel like you wanna give up, but this is the reason why we need to get into like peer groups, um, motivational groups, you know, inspirational groups, connect with different mentors so we can have that encouragement to get up every day to, uh, you know, make our business grow and be successful. That, that was entirely well said. And, and I, I just wanna ask you this, this last question before I take this break. Um, because I, I love what you said about the pressure and I love what we just did with all the roles. Tell me, because of all that pressure, because of all those roles, what has been your biggest setback? The biggest setback for you is what because of all of that? The biggest setback is um, just being able to like not enjoy basketballs, you know, football, scenes and events for my children. The biggest setback is you know, um, being with someone for 10 years and not being able to enjoy life with that person, travel the world, have those experience, right? 
um, because I've been so focused on business, business, business. Um, it, you know, that's the biggest setback, you know, not having those enjoyable experience moments that I want to memorize for the rest of my life. You know, I want to have those memories. So mm. that's the for me. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Listen, I, let, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to dig a little deeper, okay? Because we're, we're peeling back the onion, right? You see the complexity, the drive to be successful. And, and in this country, that's the, only way you, that's the only way you make it. Success is how you make it. But then how do you love the people you love when you're trying to build something that's going to help the people you love? Um, I got some good news for her and some bad news, okay? I got some, I got some, I got some affirmation and a challenge, too. It's going to be good for her. It's going to be good for me. It's going to be good for you right after this. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. My sister Lativa is here. We're having a great conversation uh, about work-life, love, balance. Um, so my sense of it, because I want to start to help now, okay? My sense of it is you give an extraordinary amount of attention to your business. Um, and that is causing you to miss important moments with your children that you want to have and share with them. And it's also causing you uh, to miss important moments with the man of your dreams, uh, the one who has put a ring on your finger and dedicated uh, himself to you. Um, so, so let me ask you this, because I want to I want to dig. This business seems to be the problem. OK, <laughs> so we go. We go we, we're going to dig into this business because, you know, we got to fix this business side. All right. Let me ask you this. Are you doing the business by yourself or do you have support? I have support. Okay. I have support. Um, but, you know, due to the fact I'm a new franchisor, it does require some of my attention to help um, my franchisees get to the next level. Because, you know, when they buy into business and they buy into your vision, they want to be trained and taught by the person who actually made it happen. Right. So sometimes they don't want to be trained by an administrator or assistant. They want to get their training directly from me. Yes. OK. So so I got that. I get that. I don't and don't think that I'm not appreciative of that statement, but I'm going to push a little bit and ask. Could you use the support that you have better? Could you maximize that support better? Yes. OK. Tell me. Yes. Tell, tell me how you could use your support better. Give me an example. So what I was thinking um, about um, creating some type of like training course, maybe I can pre-record my trainings online and then each franchisee can kind of like go on there and watch the training where it can kind of free up my time. And then also maybe utilize my franchise administrators and things of that nature a little bit more. Yes, because I think I think that Often when you build something and you've given birth to something and you've carried it for nine months or you carried it for 10 years, you think I'm the only person who can feed it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, how can you not feel that way? But the reality is that you're not the only person who can feed it. And, yes. if, and if you are the only person who can feed it, then there's something wrong with your leadership paradigm because other people need to be able to plug in and do what you do in the event that something happens to you, or if you're at a baseball game, or a basketball game, or you're on date night with your boo, right, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you gotta have somebody, so, so it's incumbent for you to start to train people, or do exactly what you said, give people a virtual interaction with you, 
um, so that you can have that time. I, but I have another suggestion too. And, and I actually got this, my, my producer Jocelyn and I were talking about this show and we were talking about you. And this, this actually came from her. So I can't take credit. I was going to take credit for it, but it was so good. I said, let me just give, let me just be honorable and give credit. So, so, so here's what she, we came up with. Why not decide that you're going to try to be great at a different thing each day of the week? So, for example, you say, Wednesday's family comes first, okay? Wednesday's my family. Thursday, I'm going to be a great fiancé. Friday, I'm going to be a great, you know what I'm saying? So each day, because here's the reality, Lativa, you can't love everything at the same time and be devoted to nothing. It's not going to work. You That's can, true. You cannot give yourself five different ways and expect anybody to get anything of anything substantive or, or, or great. Okay? It, it, it can't happen. Human beings cannot. Look, put the camera on me real quick. Human beings cannot love everything equally at the same time. We're not capable of it. Okay? That's why we have priorities and we order things. Okay? Are you with me so far? Yes. Okay, I good. So, so, so what I'm suggesting is that you say... You know, as you go through your week, you say, Monday, I'm all about being great at being a wife. Tuesday, you know what I'm saying? Just pick days and you measure the success of your day by how good you were at that role. So that by the end of the week, you've been good at everything, just not all at once at the same time. Same time, correct. So, so when I say that, how, how, does, that, how, how does that strike you? Can, can you receive that, that? That sounds great. That sounds awesome, by the way. Like, you know, never really thought about taking, you know, each day instead of trying to ma manage it all at once, take it day by day and be great at one thing for that particular day. And that allows Absolutely. you to say, I was great at all of it this week. But I had sense enough to know that I couldn't be great at all of it every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're making we're making progress. Okay, we're making progress. Exactly. Making progress. <laughs> okay, but now but now I'm going to push you. Okay, and I'm going to push you, and 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 here and here's why. Um, Tony Morrison, who's my who's like my spirit mother. If 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 I could have chosen a mother, it would have been Tony Morrison, and and she said that once she was so overwhelmed. And so just in the fog and confused that one day she sat down and she said, if there was only two things that I could do and I had to do them or I would die, what would those two things be? And she wrote down her two things and it gave her clarity and focus and allowed her to plan the next 25 years of her life. If you had to choose two things, two roles that were the most important to you, that you had and, 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 and you had to be these two things. What would those two roles be? And be honest. Being a mother and a wife. Okay. 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 So those two things are those two things are the most important things to you. And if you couldn't do those two things, you would not only not know yourself, you wouldn't even want to go forward in life. Correct. Good. So now you have the criteria to decide how you should respond to your business. Okay, here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a great businesswoman. I'm saying that when that when the and sometimes you're going to choose your business over over some functions with your family because you have to. I understand that. Right. But I'm saying mm -hmm. 
over the great majority of the choices you make, now, now you have the criteria to decide which one comes first. So if you need to be on a call or you need to be at a game, you got to reschedule that call. Yeah, I saw your yes, face. Right. I saw your face. <laughs> I saw your face. I saw your face. Okay. If you if you if 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 you need to go with your fiance to something that's important to him or his family or his work, right? Or you need to check up on one of the one of the one one of the uh, stores, one of the uh, the franchisees or something. You you just need to do it after you take care of your fiance. You follow me? And, Correct. And, and so yes. and because you just told me those are the two most important things in the world to you. And if those are the two most important things in the world to you, I'm not saying you always choose them, but I'm saying when you look back at the legacy of your life, you want to be able to say that most of the time I chose the important things. Now, there will be times when you have to say to your children and to your fiance, listen, I have to go take care of this because this, this is on fire. Or I have to go take care of this because this is a legal obligation that I have to do. You know, I have to do this. But when, you're, right. but when the people in your life feel like they're your choice most of the time, they won't, make, they, they won't have a problem with you choosing business some of the time. Yes, that's, that's absolutely, yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good, that's good advice. See, you see, you see. Okay, I see you, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to have a conversation with your kids and your fiance. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive yourself in their presence. I want you to say to them, before I ask for your forgiveness, I'm forgiving myself for believing that I could do everything and be everything for everybody. And now I'm realizing that I can't. And now I want to ask you for your forgiveness for the times that I weren't, was not there, weren't there, the time I couldn't be there. And I want you to forgive me. And I want you to know that I'm going to do better. And then I want you to tell them that they come first, that they come first. And, and to tell them there will be times when you have to do certain things on the other side, but you make a promise to them that when they look back, they're gonna know and feel that they were the most important things in the world to you. Can you do that? Yes, I most definitely can. Listen, I, I promise you if you do it, everybody will be happy, you'll feel lighter, and you will, you will handle that pressure differently. Because the pressure isn't to succeed. The real pressure for black women is to be everything to everybody. And the minute you all, because I think black women are the eighth wonders of the world, the, the minute black women liberate themselves from that, from that burden, then that's when you can begin to live the life that you want to live. Don't try to be everything for everybody. Try to be who you're supposed to be for the people you love. I'm cooking, yeah. I'm cooking with hot <laughs> grease tonight. I'm telling you, Lativa. Thank you for coming in, or coming on, rather. Uh, come back and see me. Let me know how it goes, okay? Okay, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. Listen, everybody, we'll be right back. Uh, I'm coming back with some extra thoughts about this, and we're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. We'll be right back. <laughs> I really think that she came to a place where she understood what her values and priorities were. And that, to me, is always the moment of liberation. You become free when you become clear about what you love, right? The things that you love the most, when you know that, then everything else lines itself up. Because once you know what's first, then you automatically know what's second and what's third and what's fourth. 
People who are confused in their lives are only confused because they're not clear about what they love the most. What do you love the most? If there were only two things you could do, two things you could accomplish, two things you could become, what would those two things be? The moment you have that answer is the moment you find clarity and therefore freedom and liberation. And I want that for her. And I want her family and her children to really to feel like they're important, not because they should be important, but because that's what she wants. She wants them to feel like they're important, so that should, that's how they should feel. Whatever's important to you should know that it's important to you because you make it, you're clear about it, and you act in a way where it's clear. It's no room for equivocation. You are important. This is important to me. I wish you well, and I wish you well, too on the balance and the boundaries that you're about to draw. All right, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play the bumper, highly. <laughs> you guys always send me great videos, and this video is no exception. Let's take a look at it. Hey, Dr. Sean. My name is Magnanimous, and Magnanimous. I need some advice. What's the best way to sincerely apologize to someone? First of all, who knows what Magnanimous means, okay? Tell me in the chat. I know what it means. You guys know what it means? Great name, by the way. All right. Um, play the video again. I got caught up in the name. <laughs> hey, Dr. Sean. My name is Magnanimous, and I need some advice. What's the best way to sincerely apologize to someone? Oh, okay, good. I'm glad I asked for that again, because right, I, I totally got lost in the name. The best way to apologize to someone, it, it's, not, it, it's actually very complicated, okay? Because when you, when you, when you say you're sorry... What you want to take ownership of is the hurt that you've caused, not the perception of hurt. One of the worst apologies you can, you, you can give someone is to say, well, if you feel like I hurt you, I'm sorry. Nobody wants to hear that. When you apologize to someone, uh, it is important that you own the hurt that you've caused, that you own it. And you own it in such a way where the person realizes that you, the hurt that you have created has also caused and created hurt and discomfort in you. People want to know that you are genuine and that you are genuine because you're not trying to obfuscate what's happened between the two of you and the infraction that you've caused. So it's, it's very important that you're very, very clear about what you have done and not, and, not, and not apologizing for the perception of what you have done. But here's the other thing I think that you ought to do whenever you're trying to, you know, apologize to someone. Um, is to tell people, to give people sort of a, a history of, 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 your, of, your, of your conclusions or, or, or your behavior, and to tell people where you were and why you were thinking that, and, and, and where did this behavior come from in you. You follow what I'm saying? Um, sometimes we give people apologies without giving them narrative. And sometimes people need, a, they need to understand the story and, and not just the sorry. Sorry is important, but sorry has... Sorry will line up with me twice as fast when I understand what you were thinking and why were you thinking that and what were you going through? Give people that too so that they understand that you were in a very difficult place yourself, that you weren't yourself, that you don't even know how you came to that because you were so broken, depressed, anxious, fearful, and here's why. And when people really feel like you've invested, you've invested in this apology, that it's not a performance, it's not a ritual of reconciliation. That it is something that you genuinely offer to someone as a gift. It, it, it is what you give to someone because you want them to know and to understand that you genuinely are sorry. 
Always remember when you apologize to someone that confession is good for the sinner, not the victim. That your apology is not going to all of a sudden make them feel wonderful about you. What it does is relieve you, the one who's committed the infraction. It relieves you of the guilt and the burden and the stain of what you've done. You get it off of you so that you can have an opportunity to have a future beyond it. But don't think that your apology is automatically going to make the other person want to take you back and make and think that you're wonderful. It doesn't do that. Remember, confession cleanses the soul of the sinner, not the victim. The victim is going to need more than an apology. They're going to need a change in behavior, a change in character, a change in speak, speech rather. So confession is good for the sinner, but change is good for the victim. All right. Someone DM me this. Uh, question. Here it is. My girlfriend uh, dreams of being a rapper. I have supported her dream financially for years, but she still has not been signed to a record label. How do I tell her that I can no longer finance her dream without ruining our relationship? Well, this one is is uh, is so is a little easier for me, and I gotta hurry because I'm running over time. Um, if you're financing the dream, it's one thing for your girlfriend to have a dream and not be doing well, and she's paying for it. There's another thing for your girlfriend to have a dream and not be doing well and you're paying for it. I think the best way to deal with this is to come right at it and to say, I can no longer support it. I can no longer pay for it. I support you. I support your dream and I still want you to be a great rapper, but I can't finance it anymore. Okay. So now you have to get a job or you have to find someone else to be your patron. It's just that simple. Sometimes the best way to say it is just to say it and, and, and then to let her know, I still support you. I still support your dream. I'm still here for you. Just that my money can no longer be the basis of our, my support. My love and affection will have to take its place. <laughs> we'll be right back right after this. <laughs> Do some more Ask Dr. Sean. Hiley, you want to play the bumper? <laughs> I asked. See, I asked Hiley if he wanted to play it this time. I didn't say play the bumper, Hiley. Anyway, um, let's take a look at another video submission sent in by Myra. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Myra. I'm from Texas, and I would like to know what three things I can do to improve my life. Have any advice, Dr. Sean? Yes, great question. More people ought to ask this question, by the way, right? Um, I got some strange answers for this one, okay? Not your typical answers. Here's the first thing. Question everything about yourself. If you want to improve your life, stop believing that you have yourself all figured out and that you know all the answers to all the questions before you ask the questions. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, question everything. Do I really like that? Do I really enjoy that? Am I really about that? Or did I just inherit that? Or is that just something that I reacted to because that's what the world presented me with? Question yourself. The interrogation of yourself every day is how you add and bless yourself. It's how you transform yourself. It's how you are renewed and how you become a better version of you. But if you never question yourself, what you like, what you do, what you say, how you behave, who your friends are, what's your favorite. Question if this is really your favorite color or is it just a holdover from another stage in your life. You follow what I'm saying? And question yourself because the sooner you do that, the sooner you can reconcile yourself to the answers and decide if those answers are truly yours. Here's another thing you can do, okay? I always believe that you always ought to have people around you who are in different stages of the journey. There's some people in your life who are gonna remind you of where you come from. You need people like that because they always keep you grounded and they, have, and they, they keep you tethered.
to the soil that gave birth to you. But then you need other people who are in different stages of the journey who are ahead of you in certain ways so that they can give you advice and wise counsel. They add to your life because you get to have different conversations with people on different levels. And that always makes you better. Some people push you and make you think ahead. Some people remind you and make you, make you grateful for where you came from. And in some cases that you're not there anymore. But all those conversations bless you and add to you and make you better. Okay? And then here's the last thing I'm going to give you. And it's sort of where I began the show. Make sure you dance. Make sure you celebrate. Make sure you have a good time. Make sure that you have people that you can just let your hair down and you can laugh until your stomach hurts. Or you can dance with them. I mean, you can straight up dance, whether you can dance or not or sing well or not. But you have to let joy be a part of the journey. If you don't have joy and pleasure, then what's the point of getting better if you're not going to enjoy any of this? So, yes, 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 yes. Question yourself. Interrogate yourself and find new answers to old questions. Have people on many different levels. You can have many different conversations with some about your future, some about your past, some about where you're going, some about where you are. And then make sure you dance. Have a good time. Let your hair down. Let the goodness of life have its way with you because the only way you are ever going to say that this was worth it is that you enjoyed some of it along the way. So if you're in a relationship, enjoy your relationship. You got kids, enjoy your kids. Don't let all the anxieties of what didn't happen or what hasn't happened yet ruin it for you. Just be in the moment and enjoy the fact that you're holding somebody's hand. You feel that? The warm press of warm flesh against each other. You feel that? Let that be enough. You hear somebody breathing in the other room, clanging pots, huh? washing clothes. Let that be enough. Take joy from it. Don't let it be something that annoys you. Let it be one of the great gifts that life and God has given you. Those three things are what I would give you. And I think if you let them and follow those things and let them have their way with you, your life will fundamentally be better. All right, somebody emailed me this question. Let me do this real quick. Uh, my husband of 10 years is pushing me to have a threesome. Oh, Lord. He wants me to help him find a woman who would be interested in being in a, this type of arrangement with us. I'm not interested in inviting someone into our bedroom and think that this would ruin our marriage. What is the best way to tell him that this is a strong no for me? All right, you wanna, you wanna know the best way? Tell him no. <laughs> the best way is I'm not comfortable doing this. I just had a sister on the show last week and she closed her eyes and said, one of the things she's been dying to say is to tell people I don't wanna do this and this isn't working for me. You need to tell him that before you do something that's gonna ruin you. See, not doing it may ruin your marriage, but doing it is going to ruin your soul. I'd rather lose my marriage than lose my soul. How about you? <laughs> thank you for tuning in tonight. Laviva, thank you for being a part of the show. I'll see you soon. I love you.